there are people throughout the world that have interesting stories to tell. Stories of heroism, acts of kindness, near-death experiences, successes, and failures. You usually hear of these stories from people that live in another state or country. But what about the stories from within your own community? Everyone has a story to tell. And by everyone, we mean your neighbor, your coworker, the person behind you at church, people you interact with on a daily basis, or maybe even you. Welcome to season two of the DTV podcast presented by the Bless Your Heart Nonprofit Corporation. I'm Brennan Mathern and I'll be your host as we speak to some of the most interesting people on Bayou Lafouche. And that's what we're doing today, speaking to one of the most interesting people on the bayou. Some of our shows at the DTV Podcast center around a specific topic or a place or history. But today, keeping true to form, we're going to talk to a person that is interesting and has a story. He's a business owner uh, in the area, and he has his hands really all over a, a lot of different things. And, and we're going to talk to him today about uh, his life, and we're going to hear his story uh, our guest today is Travis Terrebonne of LaRose. Travis, thank you for joining us, and welcome to the show. Hey, Brendan. How you doing? Glad to be here, for sure. I'm excited about it. Big fan of the show. Thank you, man. We appreciate uh, you listening, and, and as you probably know, listening to the show, we start every show by just getting people to introduce themselves and so that everybody kind of has an idea of who they're talking to. So, um, you know, the most famous greeting you have when you're meeting somebody new is, who's your mom and dad? So... Just tell us about your family. Tell us about where you grew up, where you went to school, and things like that. Sure. Uh, so I was kind of like uh, a cut-off LaRose migrant throughout my childhood. Uh, but I, I always say I am from LaRose. Uh, currently live north of the intercoastal. And we'll get to that town a little bit later in the discussion. But uh, my mom is uh, Johnny Alamo. Uh, she was Pat and L.J. Alamo's daughter. Uh, Pat and LJ, well known for working for Latelco for a lot, a lot of years in the phone uh, company. And my dad is Ted Terrebonne, uh, Rodney Terrebonne's side of the family. Um, I was raised by a stepdad, uh, Bruce Kennedy, from Mississippi, but uh, lived the majority of his adult life here. Um, I'm currently married to Leslie Roos Terrebonne. And together we have uh, a bunch of kids, <laughs> uh, uh, but awesome kids. I mean, I'm blessed with my family for sure. Um, I have uh, so I was I was married and divorced. I was married to Ada Terrebonne, and her and I had uh, two kids: Riley, who is 15, going on 30, <laughs> one, two-ish, maybe. Uh, in high school, she's a sophomore. I have uh, Lane, who is uh, eight years old, who is a, uh, he's the most fun shock person you ever met. He <laughs> his fun shockness inspires me for sure. Um, <clears throat> and then I have, uh, Leslie has uh, Sebastian, who is about to be 20 and is expecting his own um, child of his own. So we're going to be grandparents. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And uh, Sebastian is engaged to a girl named Mackenzie Hughes. She's from uh, North Alabama, somebody he met when he was up there working um, prior to Ida. And Sloan um, Vegas, who is uh, 
Leslie, Leslie's child from a previous marriage who, um, who I, her kids and my kids. I mean, so I'm trying to figure out how to word this for radio. Um, she's my stepdaughter. Uh, she is thir- 14 and a standout at everything she does. She's at LCO and going to be going to Salafouche next year. And we've been blessed with uh, another child that we are currently raising right now by the name of Adrian Randazzo, who is a 14-year-old eighth grader at LCO. He's been in my life uh, probably the last five, six years uh, through youth sports. Um, but we got a big blended and blessed family, and uh, I couldn't be more proud of them. Whew. I didn't. I guess we every time I talk about my family, I get choked up. <laughs> We just came back from vacation. I drove in today, so I got to spend some really good one-on-one and group time with them and reflect on how blessed I truly am. So, uh, yeah, family's big to me, and being from here, obviously. Most people I'm, I am uh, I call friends are, are big and family on the bayou too, so that's one thing I'm proud about being from here is the a sense of family. Well, and, and Travis, I can certainly relate. Uh, it, it's hard. Uh, anytime I'm in the company of others talking about my family, I always have to choke back because uh, you realize how blessed you are. Um, but let's talk about that that blended family. That is a full house that you just described. Uh, you've got teenage girls, a teenage boy. You've got some younger kids. Talk about that dynamic and, and how uh, interesting that makes life for you. Yeah, so, man, we don't stop a whole lot. Um so Leslie is a uh, has been a, a full-time cosmetologist. She's an entrepreneur too. She's she's been she's a hard worker. Um she's probably got 15 years in her trade and uh raised kids for the majority of of her adult life um as a single parent. So she definitely brings a dynamic towards parenting and our family unit that um, I can relate to. You know, I was raised for a lot of years by a single mom. So she's a love first, uh, really soft hearted person. And uh, I guess she kind of depends on me to uh, swing the gavel and be the uh, the disciplinarian. But we do it. We do. We do pretty well together, uh, although it's a daily struggle. Uh the heart of our family is, uh, you know, we have strong faith, um, members of community Bible church and, uh, we're growing our spiritual journey every day, but without uh, the grace of God, it would be very difficult to balance, um, the life we do, but we get it done, you know, through love, dedication, commitment. Leslie now has, uh, after 15 years, we decided her place, um, what's best suited, you know, raising our children. And uh, God has blessed us with the opportunity for her to be able to do so. So she pretty much retired right around uh, right around Ida, maybe a little bit before, just kind of put her shears up and decided, you know, uh, she wanted to raise kids. And so far she's doing an awesome job at that. She's an amazing wife. Uh, definitely the yin to my yang and uh, – a ice cold glass of water to the hot fire that I bring in the house every day with me. <laughs> um, but man, you know, so she pretty much now is devoted to getting the kids from point A to point B and then trying to make sure that they have some stability in their life. We know we, we, uh, we're very blessed and never take, I'll never take for granted our public school system down here. 
my oldest daughter is at South Lafouche now, and she worked her way from North LaRose Elementary through LCO now to South Lafouche. And, man, I, again, same scenario. I can't, you know, these people help raise my kids, and they're currently doing it now. You know, it takes a village down here that's, that's saying, uh, that goes without saying that our public school system is really, really a proponent to uh, our family unit for sure. So Leslie gets them from point A to point B and make sure that um, they fed and watered <laughs> like the rest of our good livestock. And um, and I try to make sure and instill values into them, you know, a good work ethic and um, the storm and a lot of things have changed. I, I could almost say our life's completely different now than what it was pre-COVID I got to spend some awesome time home uh, originally at the beginning of the pandemic. And then uh, it seems like we blinked and then we got hit by a Category 5 hurricane. And, uh, you know, life gets tougher and so do we. So trying to, you know, teach resilience in these kids. They're all active in sports and that plays a pretty big role in our life. And so, uh, you know, I'm blessed. My, my oldest daughter's a big FFA. She's uh the 2022 FFA queen this year. She's aspiring to be an ag teacher, which is, is so crazy. I, I I went to school the other day for Farm City Day, and um, it, every time I see Mr. Eric Zach, I still call him Mr. Zach, you know, and now I'm assuming I have a free pass. I could call him by his first name, but teachers to me, I'm always going to call him Mr. Zach. I think I was his first year of teaching, and I was such a jerk in the class like <laughs> bro I loved it I loved FFA obviously I'm a farmer now I loved agriculture loved everything about it loved him but he was a new teacher so when you're a teenager you push you know and I was a jerk along with my friends were all jerks and now like 20 years later here he is teaching my daughter my daughter's in love with the program aspiring to be FFA president so she's making me really proud she's my responsible kid uh Riley's the kid that uh you know, she's uh she's getting baptized this Sunday, so she's giving her life to Christ. So I'm I'm really proud of her. Uh and then I'm a I'm gonna go completely opposite and talk about Sloan. Sloan is like um the kid that everybody when they when you when you turn forty years old and you look back at the kid you wish you were in school, that's Sloan. Like she's involved in everything. Captain of the cheer team. Uh, point guard on the basketball team. You know, she broke the uh, the one-mile record this year at LCO, held, for, uh, held, I think, by Michaela Bynum. So that held a pretty long time. She just excels at everything she does. She's a, a pastry chef, part-time pastry chef. I mean, she's a, a pageant queen. I mean, literally, whatever she touches turns to gold. Um, Sebastian is a... Uh, Becoming a young man, literally day by day, you know, he's moving back to Alabama um, to go and so that Mackenzie, his uh, fiance, can have her baby around her family and her sister and stuff like that. So Leslie, who uh, effectively has named herself Fancy as a grandma's name, Fancy and Fonchak, which is obviously my grandpa's name, are uh, going to be doing some road trips to Alabama to visit the grandbaby. And uh, he's starting a career up there. He's always had a knack for fabrication, so I believe he's going to get in that field up there. And I, you know, he'll he'll do well. 
um, Lane is the wrecking ball of the family. Uh, <laughs> dude's uh, he's fun shock man. He's got the gift of gab. He's got a short fuse like me and a big heart. P- plays sports, loves every sport, loves to compete, hates to lose. I don't know where he gets all this from, but uh, <laughs> he's gonna keep me on my toes. I have a feeling. So, but man, I, um, and then Adrian kind of fits into our family well. Same thing. Extremely athletic. Uh, hyperactive, involved, 14-year-old. Uh, I've been coaching him at basketball since he's about nine years old. And uh, he lost his grandmother tragically uh, during Ida, after Ida, uh, during the uh, the nursing home scenario. And uh, <clears throat> we saw an opportunity to step in, and it was, on our, it was on Leslie and I's heart for a long time and wanted to give the boy, uh, you know, Coming from a, a blended family myself, being raised by step parents, it's kind of crazy how life uh, comes full circle. The majority of my young adolescent life I spent down West 80th Street in Cutoff, which is by the Cutoff Church. So I grew up all the way in the back of that street in a little trailer on the left hand side. And uh, right, I'll never forget, right by the bedroom was like the biggest, uh, I'm pretty sure it's a it's not a hackberry tree. It might be a big willow tree. But in any case, Adrian um, winds up growing up in the same neighborhood. And when I sat down with Adrian and his family, his remaining family, his grandfather, and talked about giving him the opportunity to come in and live in a house where uh, they had other teenagers being raised by, you know, what we what we proud to say we hope is the right way. And uh, I sat there and like 10 feet from this tree that I'll never forget my whole life. And it feels like just God brought me back to that spot and just reiterated that I, that we were doing the right thing. And so we sat down with the girls and, you know, talked about um, how I felt like it was a family decision that no matter what, having a, a teenage boy in the house with a bunch of teenage girls is going to somehow change the trajectory of uh, of y'all at least high school years, but sure. more more importantly, their life. And so, uh, this is choking me up. I'm sorry. Um, my girls were like, instantly, Dad, we got to do it. You know. So we made the decision and sat down, and you know, God did His thing, and He's living with us now, and it's a. Uh, it's a learning process for all of us, for sure. But uh, I know our family unit is a lot stronger because of it. If you listen to the first season, you know that practically everyone we talked to had a story about Hurricane Betsy uh, from that generation. But in our generation, we've, we've said it many times that, that Ida is going to be our Betsy. And uh, you've already mentioned, you know, pre-Ida. But, man, it sounds like your your family story it really changed uh, the traje- like you said the trajectory of your family the dynamic a lot changed for you guys not necessarily directly because of the hurricane but as a result uh, one way or the other of the hurricane God I mean first and foremost um, I think COVID kind of springboarded I guess changed I guess the way I look I, I thought life you know from the time I 
younger, I've always kind of thought I had life figured out or tried to stay one step ahead. Uh, uh, my grandmother called me a mover and a shaker. And, you know, I, I kind of always was never let life come to me. I was I was going to go take it and make it. So when when the pandemic hit, like, wow, like we really being told to sit in our house and don't get out. And like, we got to do it. You know, and wait. So you mean that the stuff that we've been hearing on TV for all these years could be bogus? And the leaders who were elected maybe weren't really elected? Like you start thinking about these things and, you know, obviously anybody who has, you know, some rational thought has thought, you know, what if this is all fake? Or what if they literally they, the proverbial they, come, you know, tomorrow but at the end of the day uh the only way to have peace that that's not going to happen or that's not a problem is uh faith and so when the pandemic hit it really just grounded me and so uh our family you know I, I gave my heart to Jesus when I was a kid and always was faithful and I had really really faithful family around me that kind of always instilled those values but you know, it takes a man to call his family um, as disciples first. And so when the pandemic hit, I just, I wanted to be involved with my family more and, you know, kind of put business aside finally after all these years and doing so, just kind of opened my heart to what life was really about. And then, you know, I feel like, bam, we were quarantined. I got to spend some really awesome time with my family at home. We didn't know what the heck life was about to do again, and then we just turned around and got walloped by a Category 5 hurricane. So, And truthfully, there were some amazing things that happened in my life between the pandemic and, and Hurricane Ida, but it, it feels like we've been uh, the last several years of my adult life. We've been just like springboarding off of significant moment to significant or what's going to happen next and as I know for the last three years for me that's how it's felt so yeah that is a uh, pretty thought-provoking that now how many stories are going to be told or, or how many lives are going to be changed uh, from a hurricane both positively and negatively and you know I think one thing that always affects me is the amount of uh, mental damage that things like this have caused that has not surfaced yet or it's manifesting itself in ways that, you know, you don't just notice walking around. So, you know, uh, Travis, our, our paths have crossed uh, several times during our professional, you know, post high school, I guess, uh, our careers. Uh, one of those was in 2014, uh, being honored by Leadership Lafouche in the chambers uh, for the top 40 under 40. Uh, we're not under 40 anymore, brother. <laughs> that is true. Uh, but, you were recognized, uh, obviously, for, for your role in business and <clears throat> kind of shifting gears. I'd like to talk yeah. about, uh, you, you've talked about Leslie and, and her business, uh, but you, you've you run some successful businesses, and still to this day, some successful businesses that I know a lot of people are going to be familiar with. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. So I want to say, I, I'd like to start it off by um, talking about just maybe like a couple of weeks ago, I posted something on social media. And, um, you know, you got to love those uh, one-liners you post on social media where 
everybody you really love and care about messages like, hey, is, are you all right? Or someone is worried about it being about them or whatever. So I posted it. It was about myself. I posted that there is a difference between someone who owns a business and someone who is a business owner. And I feel like a, a true business owner is a creator and a cultivator. And so prior to um, the pandemic, I was someone who owned a business or most, multiple businesses. I wouldn't call myself a business owner because although the work that I was doing was creating and cultivating, um, my priorities weren't in the right spot. They were tracing a career or trying to be better than, you know, my own parents or childhood or, you know, whatever I was searching for, I was just a hustler, a blind hustler. It's kind of what I, I call my, uh, tell my kids in, in sports, when you're out here hustling and you got no idea what you're doing, that's just blind hustle. I mean, I love it, but you got to have a purpose. So, um, when I said that it was about myself and, uh, I'm, I'm changed now, but when I first got started, uh, I went to high school at Salafouche, uh, kind of didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I even maybe wanted to be a ag teacher or something like that. Um, but I was chasing money. So I, a couple of my buddies from the Baya, Michael LeBlanc, uh, Jason Glenn and Jonathan Darda, uh, two of them, which are still in the, in the field today. We took off and we, we, uh, tested the aptitude test to get into UTI universal technical Institute, took off, moved to Houston, Got jobs there and started going to school. And um, I had a girlfriend at the time, so I probably didn't have my priorities straight once again. <laughs> Shocker. And uh, so I was trying to, like, hurry up and get out of school. So I worked enough. I saved up a little money, and I wanted to get back out of school. I was just always eager to, like, start life. Like, when I graduated, it was like a switch went off. Like, I want to be – I want to have a career. I want to have a house. I want to be a husband. I want to be a dad. Just I wanted all of those things so fast. And I don't regret that. I did miss out on some cool stuff, but, I mean, just partying and stuff that probably wouldn't benefit me or certainly wouldn't benefit me to this day. But So, uh, um, man, I, I don't know. My dad was a commercial fisherman, and uh, a couple of times he had to get a mechanic out to his uh, trim boat. So I was on the boat, and... Uh, just, you know, I would hear about the repair bills or see the mechanic or, you know, man, he makes a lot of money. I always drove a nice truck or whoever. So uh, I knew the demand down here, obviously, for that was was huge. So, hey, this seems good. I don't have to go to college and get in the books anymore. I could uh, and find a career that I could make a good living and I could still live down a bias. So that's what I did. We took off to UTI, Universal Technical Institute. is like a trade school, and uh, I got out pretty quick. Wanted to start my career and um, went to work for United Diesel at the time in Homa. I remember when I got out of school uh, or when I was graduating, they gave us, like, placement assistance. And um, it went off a GPA, and some, some companies were interested in giving you, like, reimbursement if you went to work for them or whatever. But in our area, nobody was offering that. So the highest-paying job at the time was eight fifty an hour at United Diesel. I mean, thinking here we are now just, like, 20 years removed from that, and you could go to work at Chick-fil-A for about seventeen fifty. I think, to start. 
just nuts. Eight fifty an hour. So I started there, and I don't know if it was uh, what I learned in, in in school or if it was I just had a knack for it. I definitely didn't have a passion for mechanic work. Uh, I didn't have a passion. I wasn't a motorhead like in school. Like I didn't fix hot rods or jack up my own truck or anything like that. Uh, so I literally took a, something that I thought was a responsibility, selected a career, and just and made a living doing it um, because I, I never really settled. I, I never forget my first interview at uh, United Diesel. Uh, I think a 30-day evaluation was with one of the general managers named, by the name of Roger Hebert. And I hope he hears this because uh, that mean it would get to, it means this – Hope this gets to Homa and stuff, huh? We find chalk like that, yeah. So I hope Mr. Roger hears this, but he, he talked to me about my goals and ambitions, and uh, he was the first person I ever told in my life something provoking, like uh, he said, where do you see yourself in this company in five years? And I said, uh, well, hopefully I have your job. And uh, I got teased about that for a long time, but I was really serious. And uh, as I was... Coming up as a junior mechanic in the ranks, I think uh, I started telling some of the guys I was working with that I wanted to start my own business, and they were like, you crazy, you never make it. You know, I, I could sit here like uh, some celebrity on stage and say, uh, you know, everybody told me I was going to be nothing, but I made it. That's not what I'm saying. But it, it was at the time, it was like, what? You're going to start your own business? You don't even know what you're doing. You're not even been doing this that long. And I'm like, dude, I, I, I really think I could. I could do it. So uh, in that process, uh, Ada, at the time I was married, uh, she was pregnant and going to school at Nichols and was interested in culinary arts. So she, she, we found out she was pregnant. So it was like, uh, look, I, I want to go into business for myself. She was waiting tables. You got to stop doing this. So kind of like all in once, I literally started my diesel shop, industrial diesel service, like in 2004, definitely prior to um, February 13, 2004. And uh, she was waiting tables at a little restaurant called Seasoned Seafood, which is in the probably going to end up being bulldozed, I'm sure. The little shopping centers got decimated for the storm uh, for Mr. Ray St. Pierre. And uh, she was waiting tables there, and he wanted to sell, and I wanted to start a business, and I'd been pretty uh, frugal with my money at that time. So... We bought the restaurant, and uh, basically Ida was going to work there, and while I wasn't on field service jobs for myself, I was just going to help her out and kind of take care of all the seafood. So we quickly learned that uh, God had other plans, and Hurricane Katrina came in and kind of decimated the restaurant, pretty much put it out of business, and took my diesel shop and just flipped it upside down. And I mean, I literally went from, I don't have no, I don't have a problem putting these numbers out on the air, but I think my first year in business, so I start, I, I went to Miss Lou Due, who is uh she's gone now, but in 308 and cut off, who was like an old uh, CPA, still did the books on pen and paper back then. Um, uh, set up my my LLC February 13th, 2004, and uh, Katrina hit, and I think the first year I had in business, I did like. $200,000 maybe is what I, is what revenue I did all year. It was just me by myself. And then the second year, 
which would be the year Hurricane Katrina, I did like $2.4 million in sales. So I went from a grease monkey to a grease monkey with a collared shirt, like overnight. And then that just gradually progressed uh, to the point where, like, um, in 2000 and prior to the oil spill, 2009, going into 2010, I had about 57 employees. And we were working on every continent on the globe and just basically took the opportunity that Hurricane Katrina. And then if you look at the economic times we're living in, they're kind of coming back. Like uh, between Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Ida, inflation, election, all of those things, we kind of like it's a vicious cycle. So I kind of see the same thing happening again. I mean, I was entered business into the greatest economy, one of the greatest economies ever. And then happened to be reinventing myself again and probably one of the greatest economies we'll see. Um, but who knows? I mean, we're, we're all up in Ukraine and stuff now, so I don't really know what's <laughs> yeah. going on with that. But that's how industrial diesel got started. And then, um, you know, man, I got a really awesome team of employees. Um, uh, Nick Bruce works for me. He's been over 10 years. He's my right-hand man in terms of operations. Um, my brother has been with me from the beginning. Uh, he pretty much runs our power generation division right now. Uh, Pete Adams, another LaRose. Cat grew up together. Uh, he pretty much runs. He's my senior technical advisor. Um, Katie Lede is uh, like my work wife, pretty much runs the show for me. She's the woman that wears the pants in the office, been there with me since the very beginning. Uh, Greg Curall, everybody knows Coach Greg, is a uh, inventory, asset, control, parts manager, procurement, uh, extraordinaire. But uh, And then I got some awesome mechanics, been with me for a long time. Um, so as the storm hit, I fast forward all the way to Hurricane Ida. We fixed diesel engines for a long time. And then fast forward, Hurricane Ida hits, and uh, man, like, we had about 17 people living in the house with us through the storm. Uh, I stayed. We wrote it out. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll start the next sentence by saying that, like I tell everybody else, I'll never do it again. But, uh, man, we came. Other than, like, small material things, like all my fencing and whatnot, we literally came out. The house was kind of unscathed. Um, I had a big enough generator like we never really lost power so when we came when we like i guess you could say like the next morning whenever everything kind of cleared it was uh you know go check on family and friends make sure everybody our loved ones okay and then i i need i wanted to get to my office couldn't get to my office we had no phone service it was literally like uh, area 51 or something like that uh back then and it's it was the craziest times but ultimately man taught me about a lot about how much we depend on technology which is something that we probably all need to take a step back from but you know when you're trying to call a mechanic to go to work or something like that and you gotta like oh man the last time i saw him was at six o'clock this morning let me uh go back to our rendezvous point and wait the best times in this country were built on situations like that so uh hurricane ida hits and uh i get out there to try to see how i can help in the community, and I started getting a lot of, like, when I could get phone service, social media messages about trying to get people's residential generators going, and 
as soon as I advertised and it got out that I was doing it, uh, it kind of went viral, like the kids say nowadays. And uh, as my technician started coming back into town, I, we would meet at the rendezvous point, which is what was left of our shop, and I would give you know, quick crash courses on how to work on these Generacs and Briggs and Stratton units and stuff like that. And then uh, our response has all, we've always had, a, we've always been pretty proud of responding to things in the community. And uh, our response time is what really transformed us. Uh, I'll tell you the one thing that was life-changing for me is I've done business with companies all literally all over the globe. And jobs, huge jobs, down to the smallest of jobs. When the storm hit, very few people that I did business with all over the world, or all, even all over the country for that matter, like checked on us, truly. And so it affected me. Um, while I understood it was a business relationship, I guess I, everything to me is personal. So when they tell you the cardinal rule of business is don't take it personally, if I was speaking at a seminar, I would probably tell you that would be the single biggest mistake you could ever do as a business owner. Because if you do not take it personally, no one ever will. And if you try, and this, you're inspiring leaders, they need to see compassion. And that doesn't happen unless you take it personally. So, um, you know, I took helping the community personally. And, and the fact that we didn't get a whole ton of, you know, response from clients that we thought we built a relationship a solid relationship with come to find out it was based on money and finances and things like that that don't matter and significance from the time i walked into one of the 500 calls i responded to after ida and it was like uh, the scene was old man old lady in their probably 70s or 80s home Two or three days, no lights, no electricity, uh, aren't in the physical shape to get out and get gas or hustle a gas generator. And uh, when I knocked on that door and said, uh, generator guys here, just the look on their face and the energy, the life that I put into them, even before I even touched the generator, moved me to change my entire focus on my business. And from the time I got that first generator going, the feeling that propelled me, you know, I guess in the community, you, you get out, people hear things on social media. And so it was going out that I was, wasn't charging people to do repairs. But, I mean, uh, to a certain extent, I was not trying to take credit as a profit, but I was trying to help people who needed help. And for if you had a simple breakdown or something like that, you know, look, now if I ordered a bunch of parts for you, yeah. And several people paid me and everybody, a lot of people offered to pay me. Um, but I was doing it because it felt good. And I was, for the first time in a long time, as a business owner, I got to do things because they felt good, not that I had to do because right. it was part of my daily routine as a business owner. So it, in a sense, it, it changed the entire trajectory of that business. And uh, while we still do the same things that brought us uh, almost 20 years of success, we now want to... Uh, Want to be? I'm gonna give credit to Blake Lee right now because Blake Lee and I had a very meaningful conversation. As Blake's the owner of Three T Oil Change, um, a good friend of mine, a pillar of this community, uh, Salafouche High School state champion, all of his kids, great kids, great wife, great family, uh, told me, Travis, I bought this business because I want to be part of the fabric of the community. 
And man, that hit me like a grindstone and just stayed with me. So I, that was my opportunity. Hurricane Ida gave me an opportunity to reinvest my self into this community and be part of the fabric. And I think it's e an eternal investment that my kids, my you know, my wife, my kids get to reap the benefits of it because the oil field um, life is not for the faint at heart. Um, and maybe dealing with the public is 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 also difficult. But uh, you know, I I feel like I'm built for this, and I, I'm really we we as a team are really really enjoying this new segment of the business for sure. So you mentioned industrial diesel services, as you said, y'all enjoyed success for many years. Now industrial power systems and but but this is not the only business you have you have a couple of other uh, ventures that that you've uh, I I know that I know that you have more than a couple but uh, I I know you have a, a couple that everybody's going to be familiar with so yeah like and a lot of them weren't planned and some I've moved on from and uh, I definitely have some ideas in the bag that I'm kind of waiting for the right time and scenario I'm realizing now that um you know, when you take the first leap into entrepreneurship, the rest of the ideas are come relatively easy. It's the execution on the ideals where 99% of people fail. And so if you can't give your full attention and passion towards something, you know, it's it's going to be like the plant that you forgot to fertilize. You know, it's, it's probably going to be effective, but it's not going to be very efficient or vice versa. Uh, so I'm kind of putting other things on hold. My my second baby, uh, grassroots brainchild business is Buzz Off. Uh, I wish everybody in the community knew about it. Uh, I've been working on that. But uh, these hurricanes and COVID has had other problems, other, uh, other presented other problems. So a few years ago, I don't know, 2018 probably, we are – Going on vacation in Florida as a family, probably our first like Disney trip or something like that, and uh, we rented a condo. And so, at the condo, I was reading something about the mosquitoes, and just they put notices in the condo about whatever virus mosquitoes. And we went out there, and like everybody in the, I would guess you say, uh, I don't know what that region is of Florida, but Central Florida area has a screened-in back patio. Because of mosquitoes. And so I'm like, man, surely there's got to be a better way. Like, what is everybody doing? You know, I don't, these mosquito misting systems that you install on their house, uh, no offense to the people that sell them. This is not in any way saying anything negative about it, but um, it's kind of cumbersome, you know, maybe in cost or uh, the efficacies challenging or the chemical that they, that they are, that's coming out of them is what kind of really affected me. So I'm like, man, I need to figure something out for these mosquitoes. I have horses, and uh, because we have livestock, we attract more insects to our property, and it's not far from my, the back of my house. But I had a horse that if I would spray permethrin around it, she would begin to cough. She was, like, allergic to it. So I need something to treat mosquitoes in my barn that's kind of all natural. So, like, I had this idea on vacation. So, like, the 85-hour drive home from Disney World to here, I just pretty much in my mind thought there 
okay, so the country and the world is moving to the whole foods, organic, grass-fed kind of trend, which is awesome. Uh, and and ver- there's a lot of science that proves that it'll, it'll add value and longevity to your life. Uh, so I, it got to be some kind of organic. So I started researching it, and I, I partnered with the, uh, a lab and a developer out of Australia, actually. And uh, he sent me some samples. And I started treating my backyard, and I'm like, this is placebo. No way this works this good. No way. So, like, I go to my buddy, Jake Sheremy's house, who lives in the next street. And uh, I'm like, dude, let, can, will you let me spray this stuff around your back patio? And he's like, dude. Put drop a bomb. I don't care what you do. Like I want to enjoy my back patio at night, and they literally carry me inside. So I'm like, I'm gonna come spray it. So I spray it all around, and we had his. He says, "Come over, uh, grilling steaks or whatever." And we sitting around, and probably LSU game on. I think if I remember right, and we like, I don't know, maybe a few beverages or a few innings into the LSU game, and he's like, "Bruh." I don't feel no mosquitoes. I'm like, dude, I forgot about it. Like, whoa, this is my idea, and I'm not even paying attention. So we start asking the ladies who give us honest opinion. And they were like, nah, none, not one. So I'm like, all right, I got to beta test this. So I start talking to my family, and I'm going to come spray this stuff. It's organic, blah, blah, blah. And then I started testing it out and realized the downfalls of it, which was how long it lasted. So I started doing research and wanted to maintain the EPA 25B integrity, which means we don't have to report our usage to the EPA because it's completely consumable. So I found a product made combined of animal fat and aloe, which basically is a glue that you mix in with the uh, all-natural insecticide, and it causes it to bond. And then through continued research, I found other essential oils that counteract different insects. So I started just constantly messing with it for probably the first year. Like literally, man, I bought little containers and caught mosquitoes with water and just tried little drops of it and um, until I proved to myself that it was a bona fide solution. Then I, I, I had to create the need for the service because I felt like it needed to be personal, not something that came out of a machine. And so I went to Facebook and built a brand and uh, pretty much from the ground up, I, I did most of the work for that business through a website called Fiverr. Uh, basically, it's freelance professionals from all around the country that could really do anything. Like if you kid's going to fail a project, and you need to hurry up and get one in, and you got about 50 bones in your, in your Venmo account, somebody will write that report for your child, or somebody will design your business card, or write your will and testament all through a website. So I did pretty much all of my legal documentation, contracting, everything to get started through Fiverr, and bought the first equipment and ordered my first bulk solution in 2019. And launched Facebook ads and campaigns and grew it to uh, about 300 contracted homes in the Bayou area. And, uh, you know, to this day, I've never 
had anyone ever sign a contract. I, we call it a contract, but it's not. It's more or less I'm contracted to you. I, I trust that the product's gonna work so well that uh, I don't have. I'm not worried about a contract. And this is gonna get launched pretty soon. But uh, I just recently partnered with the solution manufacturer and my methods and additions, and uh, more than likely. Uh, we are going to venture off and to start training small business and entrepreneurs to start doing what I'm doing all over the country uh, where I would be the trainer and he provides the product and I teach them how to run the business because the demand for it is really crazy. I didn't realize mosquitoes is pretty much like a 45 state ordeal and you don't realize it, but uh, we are used to it. Imagine being in a state where you're not used to getting bitten by some type of bug pretty much every day of your life. They they will pay $500 a month for you to get rid of them. Right. You know, whereas here, it's like, ah, me, I got that, me. <laughs> Mosquitoes die when they drink my blood. You know, look, I battled every business objection you could think of. I was doing business down the by and some funny ones, but uh, buzz off was, man, it was kind of like crazy how it went down and uh just opened my eyes more so to the uh organic side of life and where that was going and kind of why I got back into the cattle business which I I'm kind of figuring we was going to get to at some point yeah talking about the cattle business uh that that's the other big venture that that I know uh that people are going to be familiar with uh Good Earth Cattle Company yeah so Good Earth Cattle Company um is a I guess it's kind of like a cooperative uh, between myself, my brother, and a good friend of mine who's as close as a brother, Jake Sheremy. I mentioned him earlier. Um, so my grandfather, my mom's side, the family's from East Texas. East Texas is, is I mean, all over Texas is cattle country, but East Texas is, uh, Northeast Texas is, is really cattle country. Uh, rolling hills, the grass grows really rich, really fertile soil. Uh, so my grandfather raised cattle and was an oilman who pretty much inspired me in every every way uh, we called him papa um he's probably i have my bible here with me he's probably my bookmark in most of my bible was obituary um great man just you know led the singing at church and um would speak for the oppressed just really good man always uh high motor work ethic, honest man, and uh, you find salt of the earth people are in the cattle business. I, I, I truly believe that, or in the livestock, horse business, best people I ever met in my life or come from that way of life. And so my grandfather instilled a love for cattle in me as a, as a young man. And uh, growing up down the Baya, you know, they had, they've had cattle here as long as we've been here. But when I was a kid, we used to go up to East Texas for the summertime when we were out of school and uh i spent most of my summers as a kid up there i didn't get to spend a lot of go-kart and dirt bike riding time down here because i was up there on the farm and i would never change man i'm thankful for that every day uh we laid him to rest uh about four years ago now my great-grandfather and um so i've always been intrigued by the cattle business and Several years ago when when we laid him to rest, my brother and I bought his herd in Texas from the family and moved them uh, down south. And we took our, a go at it 
uh, I guess in his name, in honor of his name, it was something we talked about at the funeral. Like we wanted to continue that legacy. It was really important to us. And uh, so we came down and then we, 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 we had a pretty successful run in the cattle business there until economic recession times, oil and cattle. Cattle is a commodity. It's traded just like oil. So it kind of goes with oil. So when the price of oil drops, you know, if you see that happening, fortunately enough, through industrial diesel, I saw the price of oil the last time it, it dropped, and new cattle was about to do the same thing. Uh, it normally trails oil. Uh, we just kind of sold out to, to at least maintain, you know, our investment. And then several years passed by and was building businesses and, you know, just living life, making kids and doing everything you do as a, as a uh, you know, 30-, 40-year-old. And we here we are back at the pandemic. And, uh, man, I'm home spending time on the farm and around the house. And we have we always had horses. My daughter my daughter is, lo- is a horse lover. She teaches horse lessons now to little kids, too. Um, so we had horses. We always wanted more. I just always wanted uh, a true farmer and, and rancher always wants a bigger ranch and more cattle and more horses. So uh, once I figured out that that was where I wanted my focus to be, I wanted to take another run at it. I got to spend a lot of time at home, and we just decided as a family, let's do it. Uh, we got the time. Let's do it. So we decided to get back in. My brother and I, Jake, sat down, had a conversation, just decided, you know, what what a better time than now. We home. Who knows uh, if we're going to get to go back to work uh, through this pandemic? Are we literally going to have to raise our own food? Well, we can do it. We have the resources. We have the land. We have the, the know-how. Let's do it. So we bought cattle and uh, started raising calves and still run a cow-calf, commercial cow-calf pair operation. Uh, we run about 130 mama cows, and those get bred every year to a bull, and they'll have a calf, and then we'll raise those calves and uh, we started Good Earth Beef to basically take the farm-to-table approach uh, that was on the heels of, I guess, my learning about the organic industry through Buzz Off and the essential oils and stuff for pesticides. So we started, um, we call it's grain-finished cattle. They're grass-raised, pastured, no antibiotics, uh, and we're really, really strong about if they do have to receive any doctoring, they get put on a truck to go up north and we, we call send them to the feedlot. But we pull off our number one steers, which is our top of the line, and uh, we would put them through our 180-day grain finish program, which creates the marbling, and we started seeing if we could make a run at selling beef. And uh, I thought uh, good earth is terrible in English. Uh, so I thought, man, let's do it. Good Earth. I mean, that sounds like uh, that sounds like the cattle business to me. So we branded and kicked off the the basically selling beef campaign, and it's been awesome. I mean, truly awesome. Um, not we're not getting rich on it, but it's uh it's been a really really cool business to be in, and really brought us back to our dreams as kids. Jake was a big FFA guy, farmer, loved to be around horses and cattle, and. Man, there's no better way than raising your kids than on a farm in terms of just, you know, responsibility of the animals. My kids adore animals, and to me, animal lovers are as good-hearted people as they come. So uh, we are in the process of, you know, acquiring more land now. 
uh, and we want to, my daughter has a passion for animal science, wants to go to vet school and maybe even or become an ag teacher, but she wants to run the family farm and take it over. And uh, I, I did not prepare for that to be my daughter. I thought that was going to be more of my son kind of thing, but she is uh, the female image of me in a lot of ways. So I'm super proud of that. It's funny how that happens, huh? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's amazing. Uh, before you become a parent, you have all these thoughts in your head. And, uh, and you know, I, I always tell, tell people that uh, I always thought – I always pictured my first game of catch with my son, and that ended up happening with my daughter, who who loves softball now, uh, which is an awesome segue to talk about. We're, we're uh, I know we're getting to the end of our time here, but um, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention youth sports and and what that part has been in your life. Earlier, you were talking about teachers and how you still refer to teachers as Mr. Zach or, or whoever. Uh, I'm the same way, especially with coaches. Uh, any Anybody who's ever been a coach for me, they will always be coach whatever. Um, and you've, you're now experiencing that impact uh, on a lot of lives of the youth in our community. And you talked about being a part of the community. What better way uh, than, than to give back by coaching youth sports? Yeah, that is uh... – that's a headstone thing for me my involvement with youth sports like uh i feel like regardless of what legacy i could leave leave behind maybe monetarily or you know uh heirloom or symbolic of the like for my kids um pouring back into kids is is what i want my kids to do and their kids and that's the that's the biggest legacy i feel like uh, is impressioned upon me to leave for my kids is a, is a life of leadership and Coaching has been an man immeasurable and made an immeasurable impact on my life in a positive way. I was not the most um, gifted athlete. That was my younger brother. Ian was the was the gifted athlete. God had other intentions for me, but I was the kid who really understood. I was a playbook type kid. Like I I understood the game. I just didn't have the physical tools to go out and execute. Uh, I was a B-team kid, so I always advocate for B-teams now. I've coached a lot of really successful B-teams. Uh, probably the most successful B-team I coached, we went to nationals a few years ago in the A bracket, and uh, we were runners-up. Uh, Adrian Randazzo was on that team. And so I, I bond. I made relationships with kids and families that, you know, are still fruitful to this day. Uh I'm now a bitty basketball regional director, represent all the programs on the bayou. And, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric that goes, uh, gets talked about this on Facebook, but um, about combining the bitty basketball programs out here. And I'm a huge advocate. And I, I've been the past president at La Rose and I've been on the board at Salafouche Bitty. And these awesome programs and what they do for kids down here, it's immeasurable. And coming back from Ida and COVID, like we need solidarity and unison um, in youth sports more than ever. So I could make this combining happen. So this is a moment to, to plug. We need to combine these bitty programs. But, yeah, look, it's it's molded me, my kids. My kids love it. Uh, my daughters are going to play basketball. It's out Lafouche, hopefully, if they put in the work. Uh, so, Adrian, I hope he, he's got the talent and the, and, the, uh, and the drive. And Lane, I think Lane might be the one nipping on their coattails as far as the athlete goes. But 
I'm going to coach youth sports as long as my kids are involved and probably commit even further. Uh, I think it's something that makes this community special and uh, been a huge part of my life. I assist uh, Coach Keegan Pokey at LCO uh, for the junior high boys program. I'm on staff there as an assistant coach, and that changed my mindset on coaching was being around these teenage boys going from bitty basketball and I guess watching them now go through junior high and preparing them from high school. Newsflash to anybody that does not know, an eighth grade child right now is has the physical, mental, and emotional maturity of what I did at probably 17. Kids are advanced. So, like, they're getting coached at the high school level at 12, 13, and 14 years old now. And there's tons of coaches in the area doing phenomenal jobs, but I think what gets what gets lost in there is the mentoring opportunity. And I noticed that a lot when Coach Keegan allowed me just to kind of speak freely and coach freely. And, uh, you know, he kind of took care of the X's and O's and deserves all the credit for the team's success. But what, what got to me was, man, what an opportunity I have to mentor, you know, to these young boys. And um, I'm going to continue doing that for that reason. It's, it's a huge, huge um, – adds a lot of fulfillment to my life for sure, coaching and, and advocating for the kids who might have been B-team kids like I was. So a uh, huge part of my life for sure. I can definitely relate to a lot of the things, including the B-team uh, lifer uh, status there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, and I'm just getting my feet wet. Uh, if you'd have told me I'd be coaching five- and six-year-old girls <laughs> softball, uh, I would have looked at you like you were crazy. But it's amazing uh, what, what you get back, uh, what, what you put into it. Um, well, Travis, I, I know that we, we probably have a lot of subjects uh, that, that we could talk probably. Maybe, maybe we'll have a, a second episode at some point in the future. But um, we appreciate you coming in. Before we let you go, uh, and we'll give you a chance to wrap up in a minute, but we want to do our rapid-fire questions with you. And we know you listen to the to the podcast, so we have some new questions oh, for you. We're I not giving was, you the old I faithful. I figured that was happening. <laughs> uh, so are you, you, and you know the drill. The you can give us a one-word answer. <laughs> <laughs> you can give us a one-word answer, or you could expand on it. So, we, Well, we might surprise you. So there's your first one. What's your go-to order at a down-the-bayou restaurant? Dude, man, I'm questioning – you, you as a human, if it's not shrimp, oh boy. Like for me, <laughs> it just hits different. Now, if it's oyster, oh boy, we good, but I'm good with that. But, man, shrimp, oh boy, is, uh, that's, on my, that's on my departure list for sure. It's tough to beat a good shrimp, good fried shrimp, oh boy. What's your uh, – and I know you know a lot of them. So what's your favorite Cajun word or phrase and its meaning? And I have a feeling I know what this is. <laughs> oh, dude. I'm 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 gonna quickly spill the full. It's obviously it's fun shock if you know me after the storm. So after the storm, uh, prior to the storm, Leslie and I were planning on painting our house, the, our brick house white with black trim. Something she saw on whatever social media. So we decided to do it, and uh, somebody posted on Facebook that I was fun shock for doing so. It just so happened that it was the timing. It happened right after the storm when people didn't have roofs. And it turned into a, a running joke, and uh, I'm not mad at the guy for posting it, obviously. It was, some, it was lighthearted fun. So the Funchak area of uh, North La Rose has now exposed itself and been segregated from the map by the down the Bayer region. So 
It's a hundred percent funchak is my Cajun word. <laughs> I, I feel like funchak used to be a negative word, and mo- for most people, it still is. But I, I feel like our generation is trying to take it back, if that makes sense. Like we're trying to embrace uh, the the funny side I t- of I it. I tell my kids every day, maybe not every day. That would be me being funchak, but I tell them every, pretty often, if you ain't funchak, you're trying to be funchak. <laughs> All right, so here's an easier one. What's your uh, what's your favorite snowball flavor? Ooh, maybe it's not so easy. It changes based on the stand, but I'm going with Elaine's because if you're gonna say the word snowball and Elaine's not in there, bro, you, everything you just said was all truth. That, like right. that was just a hundred. It ain't a snowball, true. bro. <laughs> so, bro, look, bubble gum with pet milk, not condensed milk. Bubble gum with pet milk with blueness. I want to look like a Smurf after. Uh, okay, that's that's where we stop. I cannot have pet milk anywhere near oh, my snowball. Bro. Condensed milk, sure, not not <laughs> pet milk. I've done that. I've tried yeah, yeah. that. Definitely would not do it again. All right, we got we kind of got your answer from this uh, earlier for the next hurricane, next bad hurricane, staying or leaving. Rolling out, me and my animals, and I might bring my kids, depending on how they act. All right, now this is a hot, this is the last one. This is a hot topic right now on on social media: jambalaya or pasta laya. Like, do I have to pick one, or or am I picking one? You or? decide how to answer that question. So, because pasta laya was like for me revolutionary <laughs> when I first tasted it, and I probably cook a much better pasta laya than jambalaya. I'm going with pasta laya, but. I mean, jambalaya is a staple, and it made pastalaya, you know? So, I mean, I'm, but I'm going, I'm going with revolutionary. I mean, pastalaya. I, I, hadn't, I hadn't put my thoughts down, but <laughs> I, I think I would share your viewpoint. Like, it's hard to, it's hard to discount jambalaya. Stoic. It's, it's the stoic. original, I mean, you know? On, but, yeah. but, man, I, yeah. I mean, I haven't tasted a bad pastalaya, but... Uh, but I know that's the hot topic right now that everybody's arguing over. So, Travis Terrebonne, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before we go, uh, any any closing thoughts and and tell people how uh, they can connect with with you and your, your businesses on, online. Sure, I'd love the opportunity. You know, just to talk about I guess uh, what I what I I guess didn't detail in the the changing of my business after the storm was it. Um, Leslie and I accepted Jesus Christ uh, in, into our heart after the storm and began developing um, just a life scenario or a life plan and on being intentional and creating and cultivating and, you know, wanting to be measured by what we uh, could give to this place, not so much by what we could consume. Um, and so... You know, we became members of Community Bible Church. Matt Dickinson and specifically Jordy Roofs uh, have breathed a lot of life into me. And now I'm leading a, a men's ministry on Tuesday nights. Um, I'm, I'm going to inspire, carry this on through youth sports, maybe some hardwood ministries through basketball. Or uh, My daughter is um, wanting to start some state born, born and stable ministries, cowboy church things. But for right now, my heart is in... Uh, this call to biblical manhood. Um, I'm, I'm teaching a, a series called 33. Um, basically, to, um, it explains to men what Jesus in his 33 years being on this earth meant when he wrote the mandate for being an authentic man. And I think culturally, it's failing our kids 
and the impression of what manhood is nowadays is really, really dissolved. But it takes men to call boys to manhood. So I'm hoping this becomes as widespread as the negativity in society. And, you know, uh, on Tuesday nights we meet at my, uh, I have a little guest house behind my house, and it's open to any man. So reach out to me on social media. I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Uh, industrial power systems. If you need a residential generator, obviously you can call me. Uh, but right now we're not worried about too much about sales. We're worried about changing the lives of men, and that starts with the ones closest to you. So everything about um, that has is is change is how industrial power systems is being ran. Um, we are bringing in young guys and trying to you know grow them up the right way, not just in their vocation, but in their life. And um, I, I believe now I found the reason God put me here was to use my sphere of influence to, uh, you know, speak for the oppressed, which is why I like to coach and um, and minister to people as a, as a prime example of, uh, of his grace. So, Well, Travis, again, thank you so much. Travis Terrebonne, we appreciate you joining us here on the podcast. And that'll do it for us for this episode of the DTB podcast. We want to thank our producer, Ross Jambon, our executive producers, Jere Gyro and Hillary Crum and the rest of the Bless Your Heart board members, Luke Newman and Chris Brantley. Please visit blessyourheartnonprofit.com to donate and learn more about our organization. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the DTB podcast on Facebook, Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also get more content by following us on Twitter and TikTok at the DTB podcast. I'm Brendan Mathurin. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.